If you have your Bible this morning, you can pull it out and we will head to John chapter 13 this morning and verse 1. We are back to our city uh, series from the Gospel of John. We began back in the summer and we're walking from the very beginning to the very end and we now find ourselves in John chapter 13 with a theme as we walk through this entire gospel of what it means to follow Jesus. Now we know from our daily lives, from what we see around the world, from what we see in our own hearts, that everybody follows something, right? Everybody follows something or someone or some uh, idea, whether that be based on some sort of religious uh, experience or a political person or a set of politicians, a celebrity, whether that be a particular movement in the world or even a worldview, Whether that be the idols that our human hearts desire and chase after instead of after the Lord, the the idols of money, sex, and power, or, or relationships, whatever it may be, we all chase after, follow hard after something or somebody. And what the Scripture will continually do is call us back to the only person that is worthy to follow, and His name is Jesus, that we are called to follow after Him and not because he is simply uh, a good teacher, not simply because he is a very moral person, not simply because he did many nice things for many people. All those facts are true of Jesus, but would be a radically incomplete picture, because in addition to those small things, Jesus is God. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, reigning on high, uncreated, fully God, fully man. Christianity is, among several things, Trinitarianism. We recognize that God is Father, that He is Son, Jesus Christ, and that He is Holy Spirit. Three persons, one being, beyond our finite ability to fully even grasp, and yet we can look at God, look at Jesus, look at the Holy Spirit, and worship Him, the great three in one. And so this morning, we sit under the Scriptures afresh, and we come to what is a very known, very well-known, very beloved passage in John chapter 13. It is the story of Jesus washing His disciples' feet. The moment that this is taking place is the night that Jesus will be betrayed. In fact, about 15, maybe 18 hours after this scene of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, Jesus will be crucified, will be hanging on a cross. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God, as we have sung already, was nailed to a cross for sins that He did not commit. But first, Jesus has this special moment. He has a final moment with His followers, with His 12 disciples, The last things that he wants to say and the last things that he wants to do with his inner circle before he goes to the cross. What would you do? I mean, if you put yourself in that situation, knowing this was the last day that you had on earth with your family, with your spouse, with your children, with your circle of friends, with your church, with those that you work with, with those that you count closest, if you knew this was my last night, what would you want to say? And what would you want to do? 
where we begin this morning, John chapter 13, all the way through the end of John chapter 17, those chapters cover that moment. They cover the last night that Jesus has with his disciples prior to going to the cross. And John, who was there to see and hear all of it, is going to tell us over those five chapters what the last things that Jesus wanted to say and do are. And so now we begin at the beginning of this season now, John chapter 13, verse 1, and this moment where Jesus washes the disciples' feet takes us all the way through verse 17. So let's read this now together. I'll I'll be reading in the English Standard Version this morning. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has been who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's take a moment and let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, your authoritative, inerrant word. And Lord, as we come to it this morning, would you illuminate our hearts and minds by the grace of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Remind us of your great love that you have loved all of your own in in this way, Father. And teach us what it means to follow that example, to live like Christ. By his power and by his grace, Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Three applications from this passage this morning for how to follow Jesus by, as we see in this passage, by taking up the towel. How do I follow Jesus by taking up the towel? Number one is this, experience. Experience. Know or receive would be another word here. Experience the love of the servant, capital S, 
the servant Jesus. Experience the love of the servant Jesus. And we see this in verses 1 through 3 in particular. And the first way that Jesus shows it to us with these 12 disciples and, and, and with us as well as we read it in his word is the feast of the Passover that shows us the love of Jesus. The historical Old Testament Passover that we know because of what Jesus is doing here is fulfilled in what we do together all the time, the Lord's Supper. Old Testament Passover is New Testament Lord's Supper, the completion of it because of what Jesus has come and has done. And so at this same table where the 12 disciples are seated, are are reclining with Jesus, and Jesus washes their feet, the next thing that he will do is institute the Lord's Supper and celebrate Passover with them, but fulfill it and explain that Jesus himself fulfills what they had been doing for a thousand years as Old Testament Israel. So if you recall, beginning in Exodus, in Passover, there was a lamb that had to die, a perfect, spotless lamb, an unblemished lamb, unblemished lamb that died, and the blood of that lamb was painted over the doorsteps of believers, Old Testament believers of God's people, Israel, who trusted in God to save them specifically from the death angel, God's justice. The blood of the Lamb marked those who would be defended from God's justice because God was pouring out His justice and wrath on Egypt, on everyone, because of the grievous sin and wickedness and injustice that they were inflicting specifically on God's people. And so anyone that marked the door with the blood of the Lamb would be protected, saved from death, from God's righteous justice. And Jesus is saying that He fulfills that Old Testament moment. Remember, that the, the judgment of the death angel, we are told in Exodus that the firstborn sons of every family would die unless they were protected by the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus now, not the firstborn of sinful Adam, but the firstborn of God, has come to earth. And he says, this celebration that we are doing is the new covenant in my blood, that God has perfectly poured out mercy and perfectly poured out justice. In our culture, in our world, we have no idea anymore what mercy or justice are. Look to Jesus. Look to His Word to understand what both of those are, perfectly fleshed out for us in this moment, both in Passover and now ultimately in the Lord's Supper. And so, John, who is watching all of this take place, who is writing the gospel of John for us, says, of Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He showed them the full extent of his love. James Boyce, in his commentary on this passage, tells a story that beautifully illustrates what's going on here uh, about Tsar Nicholas I of Russia. And if you're not up on your Russian history, allow me to introduce you to Tsar Nicholas I. Um, In this story, Tsar Nicholas um, cared very much for a young man who was the son of of a friend of Tsar Nicholas. And so he gave this young man a a significant position of power uh, in the army, actually overseeing some of the finances of the Russian military. 
This young man, however, as we are all wont to do, uh, began to slip into gambling and eventually even began to steal the military's money to cover his debts and to feed his gambling habit. And as always takes place, eventually there was an audit, there was a reckoning of what was going on with the money, and when the man heard that the audit was coming, he panicked. And he decided as he reviewed the numbers, as he went back and studied his own ledgers with pen and paper, he he realized that, that his debt was more than he could pay. And in his ledger, he wrote over all of the math that was in front of him, reminding him of of his problem. He wrote these words, "A, a great debt, who can pay? A great debt, who can pay? Overwhelmed now with his guilt and his shame, he planned to end his life at the stroke of midnight that very night. Now, what he was not aware of was Tsar Nicholas I had a a well-worn habit of putting on a regular person's military uniform and going in and checking on his soldiers in the area. And this very night, he decided to put on said uniform and come and visit the soldiers in the exact outfit where this young man had been serving. And so the Tsar came to the outpost and the young man had fallen asleep in his grief and in his guilt, and in his shame, and wanting to specifically check in on this young man, who again he knew and cared for deeply, he went to the man's room, saw that the light was still on, and opened the door, finding both the young man asleep and also the ledgers laid open. He went over, looked at those ledgers, and began to see the numbers, and began to see the wickedness with which this young man that he loved had been carrying on his life secretly. And he was initially filled with legitimate anger and rage over the situation, but then he saw what the young man had written, a great debt. Who can pay? And filled with a deeper sense of generosity, he wrote one word on the paper just under that also important question and left the room time passed on. The young man woke up. It was now well past midnight. He realized that someone had been in his room. He realized that he he had missed his moment, but he went to end his life, but suddenly saw the ledger, saw it open, and went and looked at the paper, saw his question, and saw one word, a great debt, who can pay? And under it, one word, Nicholas. Nicholas. There was only one person who could forgive his debt. There was only one person who had the money to pay off his debt, and there was only one person who had the authority to keep that young man from suffering the death penalty that he deserved, and it was Nicholas. How much more, Jesus Christ? The atoning sacrificial death of Jesus, the Son of God. Only He can do it. God the Father, only He in love could send His one and only Son. Only He has the authority to forgive sin. Only He has the authority over life and death. Only the Holy Spirit can enter someone's life and change their heart and move them from death into life. 
having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Have you experienced the love of the servant Jesus? That's where Jesus wants to begin in this moment with his followers. Number two, follow the example of the servant Jesus. Where did I get the word example? Jesus gives us that very word. Follow the example of the servant Jesus. And we see this in verses 4 through 11. Jesus is taking up the towel is an amazing story. It is a summary of his entire life. His entire mission is shown to us in this moment when Jesus takes up the towel. The Bible says here, having been reclining at dinner, and this was the way that in the Middle East they would eat dinner, many still do even uh, today, they would recline. The table was low and they would lay on their side and eat. But the Bible says that having been reclining at dinner with his disciples, Jesus rises up from the supper table just as Jesus rose up, was at God the Father's side. Jesus rose up from heaven and laid aside here in this moment his outer garments. Even as in all eternity, Jesus in a moment came into the world. He laid aside the glories of heaven without without setting aside his divinity. Jesus, the God, man. He fully, God, comes down and takes on human flesh. It says he took up a towel and tied it around his waist just as he took on flesh. Just as he entered the world as a man, God in the flesh is now God, the capital S, servant. The Bible says that he poured out water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet even as we know that Jesus' mission will be fully completed in a few hours. Jesus' life poured out. Jesus' blood literally poured out on the cross for the washing away of our sins. And only Jesus can do it. He's the only one qualified to wash away our sin. Not just you and me, but the sins of every disciple, every follower, every believer in Jesus from every time, from every place, Jesus in a finite moment in in time has made a way for all those who believe, all of his children, all of his family, all of his elect, all of his followers, all, the, the Bible uses this language to describe his people, that Jesus' blood was poured out to save his people. Even here illustrated by pouring out water and washing his disciples' dirty feet. Jesus took up the towel in order to show us how to be a servant. And you may listen to that that picture of Jesus and go, well, how can I do that? How can I be like Jesus? How can I look like Jesus? And brothers and sisters, let us be clear, on our own, we cannot, right? Right? I can't live like that. I cannot live up to that standard. But when we are forgiven by the Father, when our sins are washed away by the payment of the Son, and when the Holy Spirit fills our hearts and lives and empowers us for the first time to be able to obey and begin to walk in holiness and say no to sin and yes to righteousness, by His grace, by His first move, I can follow. I can follow 
Jesus. So Jesus takes up the towel to show us an example. And in case you have not walked around Israel 2,000 years ago, I have also not, but I do understand the basic simplicity that their streets were made of dirt and so they were dirty. Animals walked through the street and so the streets were dirty. And so as you walked through the street, the first thing you would do when you came into someone's home is you would need to have your feet washed. No Jewish master No Jewish rabbi, no Jewish politician or leader would be caught dead washing somebody else's feet. No, 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 no. You wash my feet. In fact, this is interesting, historically, even Jewish slaves could not be compelled to wash feet. This was a job for the lowest of the low. And Jesus comes in the Son of God, their teacher, and takes up the towel and begins washing the feet of His followers, of His disciples. And Jesus says, I'm giving you an example. Look how Philippians chapter 2 fleshes this out. Again, listen to verses 5 through 11. And catch verse 5, the first part of verse 5, giving us how do we connect to this. Have this mind among yourselves. You and me, as followers of Jesus, have this mind among yourselves, among other followers of Jesus. This is what you ought to do. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now he will describe Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Amen. See where it begins and see where it ends. John shows us Jesus. And then he takes the time to tell us about two men, two humans. Judas and Peter, and he tells us about Judas, and we are told that Jesus washed Judas's feet, knowing full well that Judas would betray him that very night. Tells you all you need to know about Judas and all you need to know about Jesus. Judas was a sellout. He is the epitome of the word sellout. He sells Jesus, the Son of God, into the hands of the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers for 30 pieces of silver. He claimed to be a follower of Jesus, but when push came to shove, we discovered that he was only interested in his own personal advancement. That's the sin that has rooted itself in Judas's heart. The Bible says that he was driven by Satan himself in this passage. Let's go Old Testament for just a second. In Isaiah, in the book, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13, it describes the heart of Satan and the heart of followers of Satan. 
It's an incredible passage. Just verse 13, Isaiah 14, 13. You said in your heart, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. The heart of Satan, the heart of those who follow him is what? Is to put yourself on the throne above God. This is a temptation that we, that we all ultimately find in our own hearts. Judas jumped in with two feet. Two verses later, Isaiah 14 and verse 15 tells us the result. Jesus, the servant, came to earth, died on a cross, and is now exalted King of kings, Lord of lords, forever and ever. This guy, Isaiah 14, 15, uh, uh, again, of Satan and all those who follow, you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Judas was driven by Satan and ended his life. We know the very next day he ended his life by jumping into a field, killing himself, and the Bible says graphically enough that his intestines spilled out as he died. That is where rejecting following Christ leads everybody. There's two choices, two options. We see this in Judas, and then we get this, this picture of Peter. Peter, with all of his bumps and bruises and strengths and weaknesses, he's a hilarious follower, disciple of Jesus, and, and, and Peter is really struggling with this scene that is unfolding. He is shocked, and rightfully so, by what he's seeing Jesus do here. Jesus, he says, you're the master. You don't do foot washing. You're in the wrong place doing the wrong thing, Jesus. He has many times, out of an overabundance of emotion and talking too fast and listening too slow and being prideful and overly opinionated, like us all as followers of Jesus, he tries to go, no, 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 Jesus, I, see, I appreciate your heart, really, I do. Let me explain to you how it should be done. And Jesus lovingly reverses it. Jesus responds, Peter, if I don't wash you, then you can have no part with me. It's the gospel message. In one beautiful sentence, Jesus washes away the sins of all those who trust Him as Lord and Savior. All the sins. All of them. But hearing this, Peter, again, known for his pride, known for his overreactions, known for his amazing mood swings, known for trying to uh, correct Jesus, Peter goes from this end to the opposite end. He does a full 180 swing, and, and hearing this, he says, okay, Jesus, then wash everything. Wash my elbow, wash my knees, wash my feet, wash behind my ears. I want the, the whole deal. And you can appreciate his heart behind what he's saying there, but Jesus will again correct him with the gospel message and gives us some really profound theology to understand as well. A person who has been saved by Jesus does not need to be saved again. You cannot be saved again. A person, John chapter 3, who has been born again, you cannot do it an extra time. When you are born again, brought back to life, you are given all of God's grace, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life at that moment by His power, not yours. You cannot and you don't need to do it again. Critical theology. Here's what we do need, though, and Jesus is saying exactly this. We need the daily cleansing walk with Jesus. He says, you need me to wash your feet 
Peter believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Peter is saved, but Peter is not done with his need for Jesus. What he needs Jesus to do is to continue to work in his life. And what does that look like when we think about the Trinity in particular, the daily sanctification of the Holy Spirit, molding us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ? It's his work in us. The Father who loves us, who has established relationship with us, who has already brought complete victory over sin and death. And out of His love, when we know Jesus in His Word, in prayer, in community with God's people, that we continue to be cleaned, grown, matured, following hard after Him in discipleship. Third and finally, we, we have been told to experience, take on the love of Jesus. We've been, we've been called to an example, and now rubber hits the road, and Jesus says, answer the call of the servant, capital S, Jesus. Answer the call. Jesus now speaks directly to His disciples, do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand And clearly, they are working on it. It is a work in progress like oftentimes it is for us. He says clearly, I am teacher and Lord. I am God. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God, the Son of Man. And if I take up the towel for you, you should take up the towel for one another. Contra everything that we see in the world, right? The world's form of leadership says, do as I say not as I do. Jesus says, I have taken up the towel for you, so you should take up the towel for one another. Remember, Jesus institutes the the Lord's Supper, the same moment, the same table, the same night that He washes the disciples' feet. In Luke chapter 22, we get that scene, that moment when Jesus walks the disciples through the Lord's Supper. Luke chapter 22 and verse 24 gives us a detail about when they are all as a group walking to dinner. It's an important detail. Luke 22 and verse 24. A dispute also arose among them, among the disciples, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. I'm the best. No, I'm the best. I'm the most important. No, I'm the most important. Me first. You second. The disciples show us exactly where their heart is at. It's where our hearts outside of Christ will go every time. You notice they are willing to fight for a throne They are uninterested in taking up the towel. Jesus has to show them. And their lives are being changed, and they will get it. But in this moment, you see where sin takes you. I want a throne. Jesus says, take up the towel instead. I have done it for you. Now you can do it to one another. In fact, Jesus will say in the book of Luke and in the book of Mark, he says, you know, your politicians... Your false religious leaders love to put themselves on the throne, but not so with you, Mark 10, 45. 
Doesn't sound at all like today, does it? Not so with you. Jesus tells us, if you want to be first, then make yourself last and servant of all. Jesus offered the call. I cannot do it myself. Verse 17, Jesus says, the the last verse of our passage this morning, if you know these things, blessed are you if you, what? Do them. Blessed are you if you do them. Not blessed are you if you think about them. Blessed are you if you take a class on them. Blessed are you if you watch a movie about other people acting like servants. Blessed are you if you genuinely consider the idea of what it might look like to serve others. No, 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 no. Blessed are you, so simple, if you do them. Blessed. Everything. Let me bring us back to square one. Everything that we do is only possible because of what Jesus has already done. You understand that? It's where we began, it's where we end. Everything that we do is only out of what Jesus has already done for me. I cannot do anything righteous apart from Jesus Christ shed blood to pay for my sin and Jesus Christ perfect holy righteousness applied to me, imputed to me, having done nothing to earn it. Ever. But with that reality, Jesus then calls us to action to be his followers in other places, to be his hands and his feet. To take up the towel is serving others the way that Jesus has served you. See that? Specifically, specifically, loving your church, loving your family, loving the body of Christ the one another that Jesus is talking about. We should absolutely love the world and everyone in it. And by the world, I don't mean the sins of the world. I mean the people of the world. We absolutely should love everyone in the world, and there is always room for one more, 10 more, 50 more. That is the mission, right, to bring them into the family of God. But here, Jesus is talking to the disciples about loving one another, loving other disciples of Jesus. He begins by saying, my love is for my own, his own, says John. Which, if we're honest, can be way harder to love the people in my church, to love the people in my family, meaning biological family. But Jesus is saying here, blessed are you if you wash your wife's feet. Husbands, blessed are you if your heart condition is that you wash your children's feet. To love them like Jesus is that picture. Blessed are you children of any age if you love your parents of any age. And that can be hard, right? Blessed are you if you love the people in your church. And I mean this church, this local, us And I mean the the big C church universal, the body of Christ. Blessed are you if you love, if you take up the towel for the people in your city group or the people in your discipleship group. Blessed are you if you take up the towel for the children of this church and serve in city kids. Blessed are you if you take up the towel and help shepherd and disciple the youth in our church. The world is out there to disciple them another way. Jesus has called us 
to take action and to love them, one another, like Jesus. Blessed are you if you love the fatherless and the widow in this church. Blessed are you if your eyes are open to needs rather than down on your phone that they are up and looking around. Who in my church family do I need to love? And maybe step one is finding out their name. But step two is taking up the towel. There's nothing better. Blessed are you. I would rather have the Lord's blessing any day than the best of what the world and its toys can offer. Blessed are you if you wash the feet of fellow Christians in the body of Christ who you disagree with. Oof, you didn't have to say that. Right? The body of Christ, big C, the church. There are Christians that you may feel nothing but animosity towards as you are on polar opposite ends of the spectrum as you debate very important and very real topics. And your question, I pray, is what does the Bible say and how can I live out the gospel and God's mission and follow hard after Jesus in this? But you may disagree vehemently with one of them. What would it look like to wash their feet? Because they're one of God's people. They're, they're one of Jesus' followers, one of Jesus' disciples. What would it look like to wash the feet of the disciples of Jesus in the way that you interact on social media? I hadn't thought about that. Think about it. Blessed are you if you love the way that I have loved. And the world, the whole world, filled with people who have not yet come to experience the love of Jesus, they will see something different because the world has no idea how to do this. The world has no idea how to genuinely love and care for one another because they do not have the foundation of God who is love. And so in this same passage, John 13, look at our final verse this morning, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You want to be an evangelist? Use your words, please. Tell them about Jesus and what he has done for us. Use your actions. Jesus, in his final night on earth with his disciples, does both and clearly teaches us that one of the ways that we can show the world who he is is to love one another. A new city, I love you. I love you. I am not as good as Jesus, but I would like to think that my heart orientation towards you is that I would do anything for you. Would I die for you? Probably not. Jesus did. He's done it. I love you. Let's love one another. Is this a crazy time? Yeah, this is a crazy time. Are people just red hot angry at one another? Yes. I love you. Let's love one another. And in so doing, show the world what the love of Christ is. Jesus took up the towel. Let's take up the towel as well. Amen? Let's pray together.